All right, so Second <laughs> Corinthians. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness, right, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Christ Jesus. Come on. And even as the worship team was singing, they said there was a verse in a song in which they declared with unveiled face, we see your glory, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. We with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed to that same image from glory to glory by his spirit, just as by his spirit. I believe God wants to reveal Jesus on today. We could look to Jesus today. Come on, the author and the perfecter of our faith, right? We can walk, we can declare, we can live as we look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. We can lay down those things that hinder us and keep us from walking in the things that God has called us to walk in by simply starting by looking at Jesus. Come on. We get to see his face on today. So we're going to go there on today. We're going to talk about the fact that we're called to abide in Jesus. We're called to look to Jesus. And we're going to take a look at how God ordained this very thing from the very beginning. Today we're going to talk about the garden of grace. The garden of grace. You see, there's grace in Jesus Christ. Come on. There's grace in his face. There's grace in his presence. Come on. We're called to rest in the grace that is founded in his presence, in his presence alone. There's grace there. The garden of grace is available for us today. And we're going to find out where that is. Y'all with me? Y'all want to search the scripture and see where that is? Grace? Anybody need grace, right? Right? What's our working definition of grace? Not a working definition, but our definition of grace according to scripture, right? It's that which God gives us that takes us to levels of his glory that we could not attain on our own. I need grace. <laughs> right? God's calling us to walk in grace. A couple weeks ago, Mitch shared... Good word, Mitch, by the way. Appreciate you, brother. <laughs> January 29th, and he declared this as he was sharing. He said, the Lord did not intend, and we were at the time before Mitch shared, we were on this, on this fast with the Lord. And it was about three weeks into January. And Mitch said, the Lord did not intend for this to be a three-week journey. He does not relent in relationship to our hearts. Aren't you glad that he doesn't relent? Come on. He pursues us with an everlasting love. Come on. His nearness is to us our good. He chases after us, and he welcomes us, and he invites us into his presence. He invites us face-to-face -face with him. Come on. Last week, Ted shared, and he talked about the Father's heart and the story or the parable of the two sons. Right? There's no antagonist in that story, right? <laughs> is that what, isn't, that what, isn't that what Ted shared? There's no antagonist. The only antagonist that the lie believed, that the son believed, that the two sons believed about who they were, who their father is, and what they were called to walk in. That was the only antagonist. The sons were not. You see, the father's heart was so for the sons. What does he say to the first son? Right? What does he do when the first son 
decides, you know, I'm going to repent and return to the Father. The Word of God says, while his son was afar away off, the Father runs up to him, hugs him, kisses him. Come on, Jesus. He says, where's the best robe? The ring, the sandals, put it on his feet, give it to him. The fatted calf, let's slaughter him. It's time to party. Let's celebrate. My son was dead and he's now alive. He was lost and is now found. Are you, come on, talk about the father's invitation to his son. He's inviting him into his presence. Come in, let's feast, let's celebrate. No antagonist. That son was not an antagonist to the father. Jesus. What does he say to the second son who was out in the field working? The father goes out and the son starts talking all this crazy stuff about the other son and, and the father simply says this, this to him. He says, look, son, you have always been with me and all that I have is yours. Come on. But the son of yours, he's returned. He was dead and he's begun to live. He was lost and he's now found. Let's celebrate. Come on in. You see, the father invited both sons into the party. He invited both sons into the celebration. Super Bowl Sunday don't got nothing on this one, guys. <laughs> yeah, come on. Super Bowl Sunday don't got nothing on the presence of Jesus. <laughs> it don't got nothing on the presence of God. Come on. It don't got nothing on the face of Jesus Christ. And he's inviting us all into his presence. There's grace in his presence. Woo! That could preach. <laughs> God, you're so good. This place of grace, this garden of grace, it was so in the very beginning. God is awesome. Check this out. Check out his heart for relationship after he creates mankind. We're going to take a look at Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 7, and we're going to read verse 7 and 8, right? Verse 7 says this. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. If God stopped there, that would have been enough. I'm alive in him. Woo! The first person I saw when he created me was him. That would have been enough. But there's more. Verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. <sighs> Catch this, church. The word garden in the Hebrew is the word gone. G-A-N, gone. And it stems from the root, root word ganon. The word ganon means to cover, surround, or defend. So if we take the word gone and we take a look at the root word, which it stems from, which is gone on, which means to cover, surround, or defend, there's an understanding here that a garden wasn't this place of being out in the wide open, but it was a place that was enclosed. It was defended. It was surrounded. You see, gardens in the Hebrew culture, especially during that time period, there were enclosures where various trees and shrubs were planted, okay? So catch that. We've got to understand that this garden that God plants in the east in Eden is enclosed. 
Cool? With me? So the Lord God literally planted a garden enclosure. What does the word Eden mean? The word Eden means pleasure and delight. So the Lord God literally planted a garden enclosure where? In pleasure and delight. That sounds like grace to me. <laughs> that sounds like grace to me. I'm going to do something real quick because I want you all to catch this, right? I'm going to go ahead and sort this out real quick. I'm going to throw this. Yeah, let's do it over here. Right-hand side? Yeah, let's do it on the right-hand side. All right. Yeah, Jesus. And as I'm doing this, I'm being reminded of Christ's encounter with the woman caught in adultery, right? The biblical reality of what took place then, right? He's the, the, the Jews of the day, they bring forth to Jesus a woman who's caught in adultery, and according to the law, she's supposed to be stoned, right? So what does Jesus do? Stoops on the ground, and he begins to write something on the ground, right? He begins to write something on the ground. And the only reason I'm saying this is because I feel like I feel like I'm writing something on the ground right now. So I'm like, Jesus, this is how you felt? This is cool. <laughs> but he writes something on the ground, and then they ask him again. They're kind of getting a little bit, of, a little bit aggravated with the fact that he hasn't answered them yet. And they're like, they're like, okay, Jesus, what do you say? The law says we're called to stone her. What, what do you say? What does he respond to them? What does he say to them? Anybody remember? Come on. He who is without what? Sin. Let him cast the first stone. And all of a sudden, from the oldest to the youngest, they start to do what? Drop their stones and walk away. Now, Jesus and the young woman, they're the only two left. All right? Jesus says, where are your accusers? Where are those who condemn you? Does no man condemn you? She says, no, not one. No, no, Lord. They're not here. They don't condemn me. And then he says this to her. He says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Come on, Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on. Come on. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, what did he do? Condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There's an opportunity. Price has been paid for each and every one of us. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. There's a confidence to step into this place that comes from Jesus. What does 1 John say? Beloved, if your heart does not condemn you, we have confidence before him. And in whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. We guard them and we do the things which are pleasing in his sight. Come on, Jesus. There's a place of stepping into grace. There's a confidence to step into grace on today. And it's because of Jesus, what he's done, and who he is in each and every one of us. Come on, the spirit of almighty lives in you. When God sees you, he says, look at my son, look at my daughter. He sees Jesus when he sees you. Come on, I can step into the place of walking in his grace confidently because I know who I am in him. I know who he says I am. 
Come on, I'm a beloved son in whom he's well pleased. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. During the difficulties of my life, I have to encounter those things and overcome those things with the mindset or the understanding that I am a beloved son. It has to be first and foremost. When Jesus, before he entered into the wilderness, before the enemy tempted him in any type of way, right? We, knew, we know Jesus overcomes that. But before he overcomes it, before he steps into that, what does the Father declare over him? Remember, he's being baptized by John, right? And he comes up out the water, and what, is Jesus, what does God declare? Come on, that was Jesus' foundation in order to overcome. Come on. Our overcoming stems from the foundation that we're the beloved. We have confidence before our God. We can step into grace. We can step into grace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Can you say provision, abundance, right, grace? That's all there. Now, take a look at this. We're going to take a look at Genesis 2a, and we're going to go, actually go on to the next verse, because I want to see this picture of what grace looks like in the garden. So what I'm, what I'm doing here right now is I want to actually picture for you all this place of what the garden looked like. We've got to use our imagination a little bit, because I, I just provided the, the surroundings of the enclosure. So remember, the garden is this enclosure place. So anytime we see these this rope here, I want you to think this enclosure is the garden. This is the grace of the garden, right? This is what we're called to walk in. So verse 9 now, we're going to go to that. So what does God do afterwards? So he plants the garden in the east in Eden, and there he placed man he had formed, verse 9. At the end of verse 8, sorry. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. Right? If you all could go on to the next verse, I don't know if you're able to. So what does he do? He places us, whom he's formed, he places us there, right, in the garden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed, and look at grace. Out of the ground, the Lord God caused every tree to grow that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I want y'all to catch God's heart here, his heart for relationship with us in the very beginning, his heart for us to step into the garden with him. Come on. Mitch also declared on January 29th, and this declaration was true before the 29th. It was true on the 29th. And it's true tomorrow, and it's true today. Mitch said this, God's heart, his heart for us is to get with him, to be with him, and to enjoy him. That's here, right? That was his heart for us. He planted a garden here for us to get with him, be with him, and enjoy him. Come on, Jesus. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love, Lord. So then, what happens after that? 
This is real cool here. Check this out. If we go on to the next verse, actually, we're going to go to Genesis 2, verse 15, staying in the book of Genesis. Verse 15 says this. Then the Lord God took man and put him into the garden. So, so God says, look, this place of grace, this place of relationship with me, right? This place of walking with me, knowing me, being with me, getting with me, enjoying with me, I'm going to put you there. The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Now, check this out. The word put there does not mean to simply place. The word put is the word nuach in the Hebrew. And that word literally means to rest. So what does the Lord do in this passage of Scripture? He takes the man and he causes him to rest in the Garden of Eden. Oh, my goodness. All I know, guys, is when I'm walking in grace, there is such a place of rest in my life. I don't strive when I'm walking in grace. That's God's heart for us. He wants us to cause us to rest with him in relationship in grace. Woo-wee. Now let's take a look at the end of this verse, because this is interesting. Because we've just said that, the God, that God Almighty, Father God, has caused us to rest in the garden with him, right? Understand? Makes sense? The why in the world would he then say at the end of verse 15, that he's calling us to cultivate it and keep it. That doesn't sound like rest to me. <laughs> you know what? I know I'm not much of a gardener. When it comes to cultivating and keeping a garden, that is not a restful place. So what's going on here? Let's, 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 let's look at the scripture. Let's go, let's just dive deep into this thing to see what God is doing. All right, sound good? All right. <laughs> so, the word cultivate here is the Hebrew word abad, abad, and it means to serve. It means to work on behalf of another. That's what it means, to serve specifically to work on behalf of another. What is it that is founded in the garden that God walks, wants us to walk in with him? What, what is the important thing that separates the garden from any other place? Who is it that separates this garden from any other place that I step into a walk in? What is in that garden that makes it so special? Or who is in that garden that makes it so special? God, right? Now, what with God makes this garden so special? Come on. Mitch, you're going to have to say it a little louder, brother. We need you to preach this word. Relationship. Come on. Relationship with God. That's what makes this so special. It's God and relationship with God. The fullness of relationship is the place where grace is found. Relationship. So what is God calling Adam and Eve to do? He's calling them to serve 
or work on the behalf of, what does Eden represent? Pleasure and delight, specifically founded in relationship. So he's calling them to work on behalf of relationship. He's calling them to tend on relationship. He's calling them to cultivate relationship. Okay, I got a couple. I love it. <laughs> All right, so we see that now. The emphasis is on relationship. Let's take a look at the second word now. The word keep is the word shamar in the Greek. And it's derived from the word shamu. And the word shamu means thorn. So back in this time period, there were shepherds who would tend sheep. And when the shepherd was away or unable to be with the sheep, what he would do is he would put a hedge of thorns or a, a place of protection around the sheep so that the sheep would be guarded during the whole entire time period. Does that make sense? That's where we get the word shamar, which stems from the word shamu. So shamu is the thorn, shamar is the hedge. Come on. So shamar literally means to guard. Wow, that's cool, Lord. <laughs> it literally means to guard and protect. So what are we doing? We're working on behalf of what? Relationship. And God is also calling Adam and Eve to keep relationship, to guard and protect relationship. Does that make sense? He's calling us to, to, to work on behalf of relationship and to guard, protect this relationship that he's set apart for us to walk in. That's the Father's heart from the very beginning. Now, this is cool. Check this out. I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump here because this is really cool. Because I want to make sure that I get to all of this. This is awesome here. Let me make sure I'm not skipping anything that I feel like the Lord has has put on my heart to share. Mm. Sorry. I'm all over the place now. I want to make sure that I'm getting to the right place. We're into the right place. Get the right. Well, I might actually, sorry, church. I might actually miss. I might have to, well. Cool, here it is. <laughs> what was the next thing on the list? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now, now check this out. God gives us grace, right? Grace is not a place of striving. When I step into grace, there's a place of rest for me. Scripture says that it's God who works in us both to what? Will and to do for his good pleasure. Who works in us? God. God works in us, both the willing to do for his good pleasure. That is grace. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, God does the work. We step into the work that's already been done, we step into what he's doing. He is the one who brings it about. 
We rest in his grace. Now let's see if this was the case for Adam and Eve. Let's check this out. What does God do in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9? In verse 9, what does it say? Out of the garden, this is the Garden of Eden, out of the garden the Lord God caused every tree to grow that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. So the Lord God is calling Adam and Eve to cultivate, to work on behalf of relationship, but he has already done the cultivating. That sounds like grace to me. <laughs> what does he do? What does he, okay, he says, Adam and Eve, I want you to keep it. Guard relationship. The Lord God was very specific in planting a garden. Why? Because the garden was enclosed, surrounded, guarded. It was already so. So the Lord God has already done the keeping. He's kept and cultivated. He says, step into it with me now. Walk with me now. Be with me now. Come on. The being leads to the doing. Come on, you've already done the work, Jesus. I just want to be with you in the midst of it. Whatever it is you will to do, God, I avail myself to you in grace. I avail myself to you in the midst of this relationship, God. You've made a way. You've done the work. Now I get to step into it. That was his call for Adam and Eve. It was abiding in relationship. So why was it so devastating? Why was it so discouraging and disheartening? Why was it so destructive when they decided to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why was that so destructive? Why? Because they tried to walk in a place of violating relationship in order to be like God outside of God. It was so destructive because they violated this. They didn't guard this. They didn't cultivate this. They said, I'm going to do it on my own. And from that moment on, what happened? Sin entered the world. Death entered the world through sin. You see, the word for transgression in the Greek, that word in the Greek is, I believe, parabino is how you say it. But that word literally means to step aside. So the transgression that Adam and Eve walked in was a transgression in their heart. They stepped outside of relationship in their heart, and all of a sudden we saw the reality of that take place in their world. All of a sudden there was a separation between them and the Lord, right? Sin means to what? Miss the mark, right? It's a Greek word. The Greek word is hamartia. It means to miss the mark. And the word of God declares that the wages of sin is death. So what took place when Adam and Eve decided to transgress? There was this separation that took place. This death was the separation between them and God Almighty. Understand? Jesus says, I want to bring you back here. Jesus says, I want to redeem you and, and place you here put you here. 
Jesus says, I want to reconcile you back to this place. Come on, Jesus. Thank you for, thank you for who you are, Jesus. Mm. Thank you for who you are, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You see, Jesus came to redeem us back to our original purpose. Communion with God. Being with God in the garden of grace. Jesus says, look, I'm going to shed my blood on the cross. I'm going to destroy the power of sin in your life. I'm going to be the perfect sacrifice for you. I'm going to defeat death, hell, sin, and the grave through my death and resurrection simply so I can reconcile you back to this place. He gave his life so you could be here. He gave his life for this. Now, we can all encounter God because the veil's been torn. Come on, Jesus. We can all encounter God because that place where sin separated, God said, I'm going to restore. That place where sin separated, Jesus says, I'm going to reconcile. I'm going to redeem. Come on, we're seated with him in the heavenly places. You have a place in the heavenly places with him because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. See, the reality is this, man. The enemy wants to keep us here. He wants the shame and the guilt of sin to keep us here. What happened to Adam and Eve after they sinned? And they heard the Lord God walking in the garden. What did they do? They hid. That's what the enemy wants to take place in us and through us. Come on. But check this out. I truly believe that when we know Jesus, when we put our trust and our faith in Jesus, when we know that we have a place in relationship with God through Jesus, The fullness of God's love is found here. The fullness of God's acceptance is found here. The fullness of God's identity is found here. The fullness of God's security is found here. The fullness of God's purpose for your life is found here. The fullness of intimacy is found here. The fullness of your worth in Jesus Christ is found here. The fullness of his forgiveness is found here. The fullness of your need to be needed in the body of Christ is found here. Jesus, Jesus, you're amazing. You're awesome, Lord. We bless you, God. Thank you, God, that you've reconciled us to this place where every need in me can be met in grace, founded in relationship with God because of what you did and what you're doing in my life. Holy Spirit, thank you that you revealed Jesus to us. You show us the face of Jesus each and every day. Come on, you show us and reveal to us the truth founded in Scripture, the Word of God that testifies Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you don't leave us, but you're with us, the greatest helper there is. Come on, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that you've called me to walk in grace. Commercial. (laughs) The word of God said we're called to what? Walk by faith. 
not by sight, right? Word of God says the requirement of the law is fulfilled in those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We can look at that word walk and think, man, when I blow it, I'm not walking with the Lord. There's no hope for me. That word walk does not simply mean a step, okay? The reality is when I step here, or if I step here, we have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus. And there's mercy available for me that I can walk here. The word walk in the Greek is the word peripatio. And it literally means to walk full circuit. The word peri is where we get the word for perimeter. The perimeter of the square is what? The outside of the square. It's a complete circuit, right? That's walk. So when God says that we're called to walk according to the spirit, your walk according to the spirit is not defined by transgression. Does that make sense? I'm saying this because my heart is that we not condemn ourselves. We can look at that word walk and think, man, I messed up. I've blown it. I'm not, I'm not walking in the spirit anymore. God says no. God says no. The walk is defined here. The lifestyle, complete circuit. God, I'm chasing after you. I want to be with you, God. All I want is you, God. My heart is for you, God. And in the midst of that, if I sin, I have an advocate with the Father. There's mercy and forgiveness so that I can go and walk again. Your life is defined here, not here. Does that make sense? When and if I fall, I do not want that place of, of falling to define my walk with the Lord. My walk with the Lord is settled here in the parapeteo, the journey with him. But if I do step aside, look, he's calling me back into this walk. There's mercy for me. Does that make sense? Understand? Commercial. <laughs> the word of God says this. The steps of a man, right, we're talking about the walk, are established by the Lord. He delights in his ways. But then it also says this. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. If I step here, he's drawing me into this still. There's mercy to step back into this and continue my journey with him. There's grace and there's mercy. So either way, my walk centers and hangs and is rooted in him. Understand? Commercial. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. So the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Where is the Garden of Eden today? Where is the Garden of Eden today? Any answers? Where do you believe the Garden of Eden is today? Not, not, not in the natural, but in spirit. Where is the Garden of Eden today? Huh? In us? Okay. Good answer. Why, why is it in us, George? That's a good answer. Come on. Come on. And 
Whose presence is in us? His presence. So we can enter into the garden of grace, right? Because he lives in us. The garden of grace today is Jesus. It's his presence. And he's here. He's there. He's in each and every one of us. So we can step into the garden of grace at a moment's notice. Because he's here. It's him. He is the garden of grace. Colossians 3. I'm sorry, guys, if I jumped around. I might have jumped around. I skipped a couple things. But Colossians 3, verse 1 through 4, it says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, grace, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now, if we take a look at Colossians 3, specifically looking at verse 3, it says, for you have died. Now, that word for have died is written in the aorist tense, the aorist in Greek. No, sorry, sorry. It's written in an aorist, indicative, active in Greek. So when, when we write something in the aorist in Greek, what we're saying is that it's a simple occurrence. It literally means simple past tense when it's written in aorist, okay? Written in indicative means it's a statement of fact. So when Paul is saying that we have died, he chose to write it in the aorist indicative because he's declaring that it's a simple past tense action that is a statement of fact. The reality is this. Paul is declaring that we have died in the past and our death is a settled fact. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 17 says this. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died, simple, past tense, statement of fact, therefore all died, simple, past tense, statement of fact. He died, simple, past tense, statement of fact, for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Jumping down to verse 17. Therefore, this is the verse we love. I love quoting this verse, man. <laughs> verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Passed away is written in the aorist indicative. Simple statement of fact that has taken place. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Come on. The old. And the reality is the old, that old way of living, 
that I'm going to take it on my own, do it on my own, outside of relationship, do my own thing, do what I feel, do what I feel like I want to do, focus on myself outside of relationship with God. That old self, Paul says, it's passed away. Simple, past tense, statement of fact. There's no need to put it back on, church. <laughs> no, when I wash my laundry, I wash my laundry. Does that make sense? When my laundry is not washed, I don't go in my laundry closet and start picking out dirty clothes to put it on. It's not washed. It's statement of fact. It's done. Leave it alone. It's done. Right? Right? It's done. Simple statement of fact. The old self passed away, dead and buried. No need to go pick it up and start walking in it again. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I'm no longer bound to live for myself, but I am free to live in relationship with him. Thank you, Jesus. It's finished. It is finished. The newness of new life is available for me to walk in. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I can step into this with Jesus. Thank you, God. That's where eternal life is. Mm. Back to Colossians 3.3. Oh, my goodness, I'm taking so much time. Colossians 3.3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Now, that word life is more than just a biological life. But the word life is the word zoe, and it means eternal life, life of the greatest quality, life of the greatest quantity. Come on, the best life there is, the most superlative life there is. I think Terry declared that the other week. The best. He's the best. Check out how Jesus defines eternal life in John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, and, sorry, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is this. Simply speaking, this great life that we're called to live, this eternal life, the life of God, is a life united to him through faith in Jesus Christ. That is eternal life. That is the garden of grace. That is being in Jesus today. That's the garden. Life united to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And the word of God says our life is concealed within the beautiful boundaries of his love. Concealed within the beautiful boundaries of his truth. Concealed within the beautiful boundaries of his grace right? Because you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So if something is hidden, the reality is that thing needs to be what? I would say found, right? When my children play hide-and-seek, they don't just stay hidden the whole entire time. That wouldn't be hide-and-seek. There's no purpose behind that, right? The things that are hidden in Christ and with Christ, his life, our life, He's calling us to walk in a place where he can reveal that to us. Because the more he reveals Jesus to us, is the more he reveals the reality of who we are in him. Let's take a look at the next verse to see this actually take place. Colossians 3, 4 says this, When Christ, 
who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Does that make sense? When Christ, remember, we're hidden with Christ. Our lives are hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, we also will be revealed with him in glory. Now, it's easy to look at that verse and think, okay, that's future. When God comes back for us, come on, new heaven, new earth, I'm with my God. All right, that, when he's revealed in that way, then I will also be revealed with him in glory. It's easy to look at that verse and think that, that that's what that verse is saying. But check this out. That word for revealed is written in the aorist, some subjunctive passive in the Greek. Now, aorist, we've already said is what? Simple statement, right? Simple statement. It's happened. Simple statement, simple, simple statement that has already taken place. Simple statement. All right? Now, the subjunctive, which is interesting in the Greek, has no specific time frame. Hmm. Okay. So, Paul writes the word revealed in such a way that it says it's a simple action with no specific time frame. So, what Paul is saying here is that anytime, anytime Christ is revealed, we also will be revealed with him in glory. That could be today, that could be tomorrow. That could be the day after. That could have been yesterday. Anytime we're like, Lord, I want to keep and I'm going to cultivate with you here, Lord Jesus. And he, he says, okay, your life is hidden with Christ. All right. Now, when my son, who is in this place, in the fullness of relationship, like with me, my son is here. We're all here. In this place, when I reveal my son to you, I'll also reveal your life to you as well. So anytime I see Jesus revealed, in this place, I also see my life revealed in this place. Does that make sense? Understand? That's a, at a moment's notice. That is an opportunity for us to step into today. Today. Sweet. Awesome. Awesome. All right, I think we're going to skip along. 11.56. Man, I did not think this was going to take so long. <laughs> oh, John 17.24. Jesus agrees with this very thing, right? He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am. Why? So that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. Come on. Jesus is like, be with me there. I want to reveal myself to you there. God wants to reveal Jesus to you there, because when Jesus is revealed, you also are revealed with him in God's glory, God's thoughts, opinions, recognition of Jesus, his thoughts, opinions, recognition of you. It's found there. Woo! Isaiah 51.3, man. Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places, and her wilderness he will make like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and a sound of melody. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> You're telling me in that place I could find joy, gladness, 
thanksgiving, sound of melody. That sounds like grace to me. That sounds like grace to me. You know what the, what the word for grace is in the Hebrew? It's the word, and I'm going to say this because this is, I believe, how it's supposed to be said. I listened to it. I Googled it. All right, it sounds kind of like you're spitting, like, like hawking up phlegm. The word is chen, chen, okay? That is the Hebrew word for grace. Now, if we take a look at the pictographic script of that Hebrew word, so that Hebrew word when it was written simply in pictures, pictures, right? Symbols that were represented by pictures. When we take a look at the pictographic script, the first letter is chet. And that letter is a picture of a wall. Okay, it's a picture of a wall. And it has the meaning of separation. So we have het, picture of a wall, meaning separation. The second letter is the letter nun. And that letter is a picture of a sprouting seed, which means to continue. As a seed continues the lineage, the lineage from generation to generation. Okay? The seed continues a lineage to the next generation. So we have the picture of a wall, and a picture of a seed. When these two letters are combined, they simply mean the wall that continues. Check this out. When the Hebrews would set up camps, specifically in the Old Testament, when they would set up camp, they wouldn't just throw a tent here, throw a tent here, throw a tent here, and say, all right, let's camp out, guys. That wouldn't be too wise, right? Why? Because there's no defense there. There's no protection there. When they set up camp, what they would do is they would line the tents up, just like we've lined the perimeter of our garden up with in the same way. They would line up the tents in a perimeter just like this, side by side, and then the camp would be found here. So grace in the... In the, in the in, in, the Hebrew is a place of abiding in the camp, abiding in the garden. Come on, come on. Because grace is defined by the wall that continues. When I'm in Christ, when I'm in the garden of his grace, such a beautiful place, man. Such an awesome place. Thank you, Jesus. There's grace there. There's grace there. There's grace in the garden. There's grace in the camp. The cool thing is anything that God calls us to walk in has already been established in the heavenlies. Everything that God calls us to walk in has already been established in Jesus. His nature, his character, his thoughts, his opinions, his actions, his spirit. There's grace for it. It's already been established there. The boundaries have been set for you. You can step into grace. Now, I want to go over something very quickly to, to end this time, and I'm sorry that I'm going over, but this is super important here. I believe it is. We're talking about peripateo, walking in grace, right? If I choose to utterly reject Christ as my Lord and Savior, needless to say that I'm not walking in grace, right? I'm walking outside of what he intended me to walk in. I'm walking over here. 
What does Jesus say about those who decide to walk outside of who he is? He said in John 15, verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Not cool. Not cool. All right, now the word for when it says he is thrown, all right, he is thrown. The Greek word for that phrase is balo, and it means to throw. And the word away is the word echo, and it means out of. So Jesus is saying he is thrown out of, right? Not a cool place. Not good. Not good. I don't want to be thrown out of, right? I want to abide in him. But if I choose not to abide, if I choose to reject him, I choose not to walk in the salvation of the Lord, he says, Sadly, the reality is you're stepping into the place you've chosen to walk out of, and then you're thrown, the judgment of that is that you're thrown out of, right? You've stepped into that place based on your actions and your decisions. Not cool. Not cool. Matthew, I'm going somewhere, church. Everybody's like, oh, my goodness, what's he talking about? Getting somber in here. <laughs> Matthew 15, 10 through 13. I promise you we're going somewhere with this. Matthew 15, 10 through 13. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles a man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles a man. He's talking to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious elite of the day. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? When they heard this statement? What does Jesus say to them? But he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father did not plant, shall be uprooted. Not cool. Not cool. That word uprooted is the word ekridzoo. Okay, so we see that same ek means out of, right? Out of. So this word means to root out of. So we see this place. If I step here, I'm thrown out of and I'm rooted out of. What does it look like when I'm here, but there's a facet of my heart that's not bearing fruit? There's a facet of my life that's, that I haven't allowed the Lord to enter into. There's a facet of my heart that I haven't invited him into and established him as the Lord over that area of my heart. What happens to me then? Am I thrown away as well? Or is there a place where I can still walk in grace? Let's check it out. Last thing. John 15, 2 says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine. Oh, wow, look at grace. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch, this is the key word. This is the key word. Every branch in me. Okay, so we're not talking about here. We're not talking about anybody standing here. This is not cool. We're talking about those standing here and are struggling, who need help, who need to be strengthened, who need to be raised up. Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. If you look at that Greek word for takes away, 
it seems to imply that it's the very same Greek words that Jesus used for those who are out here. He's going to throw you out, right? Not cool. He's going to uproot you, right? That word take away, Paul does not use the word ek in that word, which means out of. The word for take away is airo. And it, when Jesus, before I get there, when Jesus was talking to the, the Jews of his day, and he says to them, before Abraham was, I am. What did the Jews proceed to do? Because Jesus made that statement. They proceeded, oh my goodness, need, a, need another, another object lesson in here, right? They proceeded to pick up stones to throw at him. The word pick up, take up, is that same Greek word, airo. Where are we going here, church? Check this out. Airo means to take away as in take up or lift up. So what does this mean? You see, I read a story about a man who interviewed a vine dresser. And he asked the vine dresser, he says, okay, if you have a branch that is not bearing fruit, a branch that is trailing in the dust, right? It's in the mud. It's in the mud, and there's no fruit on that branch. Do you, as a vine dresser, do you uproot that branch? Do you take that branch away? Do you discard that branch? This is what the vine dresser says. Absolutely not. That branch is too valuable. What I'll do is I'll take that branch, pick it up, lift it up, put it, cleanse it, wash it, put it back on the trellis so that it may bear fruit. That is the Greek word, airo. So what this passage of scripture is saying, John 15, 2 is saying, Jesus declares, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, I take up, I lift up. Isn't that grace? Grace takes us to levels of glory that we could not attain on our own. Come on, that is grace. That is grace. So I want to say this on today, man. Do you need grace in your life? Do you need to be lifted up in a facet of your life on today? Do you need God to pick you up here? Because I know there are times in my life where I'm like, God, this facet of my heart has been closed off to you, God. It's not bearing fruit. What can I do, Lord? And the Lord declares, I want to lift that place up. I want to take up there so that you may bear fruit there. Let me come in, dine with you there. Check out what grace looks like. Psalms 86.16. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Oh, grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your handmaid. Their strength and salvation and grace. Come on. That sounds like being lifted up. Let's keep going. Psalm 6-2. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining. Pining means wasting away, right? I am pining away. 
Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed. So there is healing in grace. That sounds like being lifted up, being picked up. Psalms 30.10, hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me, O Lord. Be my helper. There is help in grace. That sounds like being picked up, lifted up. Psalms 34, Psalms 41.10, but you, O Lord, check this out. Check out how this is written in scripture. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up. Come on, that I might repay them. Does anybody need to be strengthened today? The vine dresser says, I want to raise you up. Does anybody need the salvation of the Lord today? Does anybody need the salvation of the Lord in a specific facet of your heart? The guy says, I want to raise you up. Does anybody need to be healed on today? There's grace for it. God says, I want to raise you up. I want to raise you up. Things that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of men all that God has prepared for those who love him. There's grace for you today. He wants to raise you up today. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ is available today. Will we respond? Will we respond? Wow, the word of God says, anything that deters us from stepping into that, God says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? This is where that's found, church. It's founded in Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm here. I'm here. I want to raise you up today. I want to respond to that call. (laughs) I believe that's the general response for today, honestly. I really do. I think there's a place where we're like, God, I just need you here. I need your strength here. I need your life here. I need your healing touch here. I need you to raise me up here, God. I need you to help me here. Whatever that looks like in your heart, whatever that looks like in your life, God says there's grace for that now. We can step into it today. Thank you, Jesus. Mention Lindsay, anything? (laughs) Oh, thank you, Lord.